So just while David is giving those out, this is the last um, study on this chapter, the epistle that we've been going through, the first epistle of Peter. And the key words, I suppose, are stand strong and alert. But these two words, they've been a constant through the series that we've done mainly last month. Stand strong. So, just want to emphasise standing strong in the Lord. It means not in our own strength, but it means in the strength God gives us. So, Paul one of the Bible writers, the apostle, he said this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things God asks you and I to do, he will be with you, he will be alongside you, he will encourage you and he will strengthen and help you. That's a great comfort, isn't it? Now, you've got some just notes there as we go through our study. We've also got something else, which I know we we had this wonderful hymn last week, which was picked, Will Your Anchor Hold? But um, we're going to have that again at the end. And so there's a couple of visuals here that sort of emphasise about strength. So... If you look at this rope here, this is sort of old-fashioned now in one sense. This is made of flax um, or hemp even. But, and this goes right back to Bible times, of course, but it's still used for shipping. And so these ropes, they're incredibly strong. They're not always made of that material, they're now quite often made of nylon and steel even for the huge liners. And they have to have an anchor, of course. Um, This is a tiny one for sort of a rowing boat, really. But that is an anchor that you let down side of the boat with the rope and it will hopefully hold fast the boat and David again can you come here for a minute and just take that round now cruising is very popular now isn't it Margaret and I have been on two or three and I know some of the other folks here have can you just take it round just to show the vastness of some of these ships now and they just launched I think the very biggest in America And it's absolutely huge. It's bigger than that one. And and so these huge boats, they need an anchor. They come into port and they've got to stop. And you wouldn't think, would you, it probably isn't rope like that that's used, they're probably steel. But nevertheless, steel chains and anchors and it just holds it fast absolutely fast to stop any drifting at all thank you David 
And so we all, spiritually, we need an anchor in our life, and that's Jesus. We need to stop us drifting away. And there was a famous poet, and I've put it on the, the sheet here, you've heard of Lord Tennyson, who actually wrote this saying, cast all your care on God, that anchor holds. So, just carrying on then, the New International Version of the Bible, in this portion that we've had read to us, it's actually headed the shepherding of God's people in the midst of suffering. And that's a good start, isn't it, to this last section that we're looking at. We need to first underline this lovely term. You notice it says shepherd. Or we might say the good shepherd. And this shepherd, he is Jesus. Now, he's the one who actually, note this, owns the flock. The Bible tells us of under-shepherds. It puts that phrase in. And they are for pastors and for leaders, um, and elders, and so on. But all of them come under the authority of this almighty, glorious God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is described in John's Gospel as the Good Shepherd. Now, this Good Shepherd, he guides the flock of God, God's children. They're called the flock. And he guides them along life's pathway. He chooses it out for us. He guards us from all danger, doesn't he? And he feeds us with spiritual things, with what we might call convenient food, food convenient. In other words, not food that's not good for us, not fancies. And to emphasise then again, verse 2, just look at that. It says, God's flock now notice it says it's his flock it's not ours this is amazing ownership isn't it that God owns the flock of God and so God owns the flock here at Oakwood isn't that a wonder what a father what a shepherd we have you know, so often Christians, and perhaps we, we've said, I've said the same. Oh, we say, yes, I'm a Baptist. Oh, yes, I'm a Presbyterian. Oh, yes, I'm a Methodist, Church of England. But the Bible doesn't use any of those terminologies. No, it doesn't. But it uses the words sheep and lambs. His flock, he calls it. He calls them us, his children. And do remember, friends, there's no labels in heaven. None at all. But sheep and lambs. And you know, sheep and lambs, especially lambs, they need a shepherd or they'll die or a farmer to see to all their needs. You think of a farm. They need food, they need warmth, they need shelter, they need health, they need growth. 
They need pasture, places they can go and feed. You know, just being personal, our daughter Kate, that sometimes comes here, she works in a vet's practice. And during the foot and mouth disease many years ago, she had to help with lambing in Lincolnshire. And she saw the dreadful plight of sheep, and especially lambs, that were simply drowning in mud because they couldn't be moved from the field they were in. And no movement was allowed, and the farmer was not allowed to go to them, and they died. And after that, she won't mind me saying, if she may be listening to this, that she would never eat lamb because of what she saw. But, you know, their coats, they were thick, obviously, with mud, um, and they needed shearing. And the suffering she saw really affected her to this day. You know, that is how the Lord affectionately and compassionately looks on his sheep. He calls them his children, his lambs. And he calls you and I child in the sense of the fatherhood of God. Isn't that precious? And in response to that, you and I say, our father, that we've just said. We might even say even something more personal, my father, my father in heaven. I was struck by the many times as um, Richard was reading this how many times God's name is actually mentioned throughout those 11 verses about 10 times I've listed some of them on the sheet this epistle here then or this letter that Peter wrote it's actually completely full of Jesus Christ isn't it so he's to be exalted in our lives this Glorious God. Now verses 1 to 4 then. These verses describe the role of church elders. Now they've been given much God-given authority for leadership, for instruction, for direction. And elders means also those that are older. And as such, we are to be good examples to others. Church leaders and elder people that are Christian, they are caring for God's flock. They do here. But in one sense, we all have a responsibility. We all lead others here and elsewhere in some way, whatever that may be. And whatever role God has given us to do, whether it's cleaning or whether it's caring for people or even kindness or prayerfulness, there's many things. And then, of course, all the elders and deacons, church officers, ministers, they all are servants. That's the important thing. They're servants of Jesus Christ. They're here to serve their master, Jesus, and one another. And so it's Jesus who is the true head of any church. 
That's not to undermine the authority, God-given, that has been given to elders and deacons and leaders and so on. So it's vital that we pray, isn't it, for one another in our various roles that we've been given and also to delight in doing that, knowing that in so doing we are serving God as well as one another. Now, verse 5 then. This is a word to the younger, and there are some younger folks here. The Lord bless you in your age, but also perhaps those that perhaps are younger in the faith, in the things of God. Now, God loves humility, and he hates pride. He hates it so much that it's listed in the book of Proverbs, those and they're called the seven deadly sins. And pride is one of them. And so this verse, or these verses, they're teaching us. Young and old together, we are to serve each other. Pride can do such damage to us and to any church. It can stop older Christians understanding young Christians and their ambitions or their and it can stifle perhaps new ideas but also equally pride can stop younger people from listening to the wisdom and experience of perhaps older Christians so we are to be humble as we serve we are to respect the elder ones the older ones but listen to the younger ones and in a humble way just to being able to admit sometimes that we're wrong and even to say sorry we've heard about some songs popular songs Mandy mentioned there's another one I'm sure you know it by the pop singer Elton John. He wrote a a song called Sorry. It's the hardest word. Now verse 7. You see, it takes God-given humility to cast our care on the Lord. But just look at this promise for a minute casting all your care on him for he cares for you here is a gracious command but it comes with this lovely promise it's all embracing it emphasizes this very small word all all this doesn't mean some Things I'll commit to God. It doesn't mean, well, what I feel perhaps I can share with God. If we pause for a minute with some awe, just see here amidst this quite deep teaching we're going through and theology, God just, as it were, puts this in via Peter and says, Look, See here 
the concern and compassion of God. God is saying, now look, child, lamb, sheep, please listen to the teaching we're going through, but be assured that I care deeply for you in all things, big, small, worries, struggles, strength. Now, notice he doesn't say in here, I'll take away all those cares. He says, cast them on me and know my care and my loving concern. Do you see the wonder of this? So, he's not promised to take away all your cares, but the promise is that he will manage them as you, by faith, cast them on the Lord, as we trust him. And he gives us lovingly in this verse the reason. He says, because he cares for you, or because he loves you. Isn't that a wonder? Verses 8 and 9. Now here is a warning from God who tells us that Satan is like this lion looking for something to eat and devour. It's the strongest of all animals, isn't it, the lion? We must never underestimate the strength of Satan. Lions are so powerful They attack the sick, the young, struggling animals even. Those that are alone and not alert. Just like us. If we're not alert and strong in the faith as we've been studying the last few weeks. The Bible says this. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now we must look to one who is stronger than there's one and who, he is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's follow Jesus' example. Remember when he was on earth he was tempted three times by the devil at the start of his ministry. And what did he say? He said every time, in three times he said to Satan it is written Quoting the Bible. And that's what we need to do. That's why it's so important that we read the Bible regularly and know it. So that we can be ready and have some answers. And say to the devil, it is written. Verse 10. Now the authorised version Starts with the, one of these lovely buts. The God of all grace. <clears throat> it says, but the God of all grace calls. The old divines, as we used to know them, they used to name this as what was called effectual calling. And it was called effectual calling because there was and still is no failure on God's part. It is not possible. Once God calls us by his grace and we're truly committed, it is not a matter, you know, of saying, well, 
I'll consider whether I'll follow him. Or, I'll consider whether I should follow him. No. God's call by grace is resistless. That means you cannot but follow the power that God gives you and I. And it's all powerful because of his great love to this flock, the flock of God, which he guards with a jealous love. He does. That is not to say in our life that we won't backslide and leave the Lord for a time we may do. It's not an easy way back. But there is this creed which is truthful and it's called this. It is called the final perseverance of the saints which means at the end of the day all children, God's children, will be saved with an everlasting salvation. It won't be a matter of saying, oh well, I tried to be saved but I fell away and, and then it was no good. No, God's call is resistless. And this verse explains the broader perspectives, if you like. When we're suffering, we sometimes feel perhaps our pain, it will never end. But you know, in comparison with eternity, the suffering lasts only for a little time. It does. As a trial to strengthen your faith and my faith. Verse 11, as we come to an end. Do you see how this ends in our study here? It ends gloriously, this last verse. To him be the power for ever and ever. What an ending that is, isn't it, to this portion? You know, Peter, who wrote this, he knew what it was like to be restored. This word restored is in this some of the versions in this verse. And so will we be. If we're honest, we've all had in our life a Peter moment when we've betrayed our Lord. Yes, it may not be publicly or in our action perhaps, but it certainly will be in our thoughts we have betrayed the Lord. And the Lord, you know, he sees that. He's all-knowing. There's nothing he doesn't see. So he knows. He sees this, but he forgives. He does. And he sends us on our way to work for him, for the kingdom. What other master would do this? I don't think any other master would do that. So to end, he, he is the unchanging Lord. Will you resolve to live your life for him and to live out all that we've tried to, the various ministers we've had here this last month mainly and today, just these studies, there's so much that we can learn from this epistle of Peter. You know, at the very beginning, when Peter was called by Jesus, Jesus said, to Peter, his first words, follow me. And at the end, at the end, when Jesus gave the great commission, he said the same words to Peter, follow me.
Now, will you and I, I hope we will, by God's grace, we'll, we will too, we'll follow him. May God bless us all. Amen. Thank you for listening.